welcome to the Renaissance Christian Church Podcast. We're a church family with the mission of seeking God, serving others, and sharing the gospel. We're grateful that you have joined us as we study through the Bible, and we hope that it brings you encouragement and inspiration for your daily life. Here's Pastor Robert Fonseca. Well, I'm happy to be back. I don't know if you knew I was gone, but I was. <laughs> oh, it's so it's so nice to be back worshiping uh, with you guys. You know, this uh, this was our summer vac- our family vacation, but not all the family went. It was the first time our, our two oldest didn't go. They had to work. You know, kids grow up, fortunately and unfortunately. They grow up and they no longer are, you know, desperately in need of your constant watching and protecting, uh, which is a good thing. But as, you know, as I've grown older, I begin to miss that. You know, I, I miss the days of, you know, holding their hand and walking them across the street or taking them into Starbucks and buying them a little drink. So when I see, you know, parents doing that with their kids, I'm like, oh, man, I missed that. You know, you missed that. That is apparent that your children need you. They're always constantly, you know, holding on to you and wanting to be around you. And, and you know, rightly so, that changes as they get older. But it reminded me of the, the lesson that we're going to learn this morning in Mark chapter 5 of how we desperately need to trust the Lord. There are times in our lives when we start to wander, as that song said, and no longer are holding on to the hand of the Lord. And so I pray this morning as we go through uh, Mark chapter 5, you will learn to desperately trust Jesus with everything in your life. And so let's look at the text this morning. We're going to read verses 21 through 43. And I'm going to take this in little chunks because it's a longer section. And we're going to just look at the first section in verses 21 through 24 and, and if you've been with us before, you know, we go through the text and explain it and then come back and make some points of application. But I'm sure the Lord will speak to you in the process of just reading his word. And so I pray that he does that this morning. So let's let's read Mark chapter five and verses 21 through 24. It says this. And when Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered about him and he stayed by the seashore. And one of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up and came, excuse me, and came up and upon seeing him fell at his feet and entreated him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her that she may get well and live. And he went out with him and a great multitude was following him and pressing in on him. So right here we have uh, Mark presents to us Jesus by the seashore, which was his common method of teaching as Mark presents it to us. Jesus is sitting out by the seashore and people come and gather around him, just like they've been doing through these last five chapters that we've been reading, to hear him, to see miracles, all the things that Jesus does. And this time is no different, except this time Mark points out to us a temple official, official of the synagogue, who comes upon Jesus in the midst of this crowd and falls at his feet and entreats him earnestly. And what's happening here is that the word entreating him earnestly is talking about he's coming to exhort Jesus, almost in a way begging the Lord, falling down before him in desperation, pleading to the Lord 
for something. And as the story tells us, he's pleading before the Lord because his daughter is dying. How many of us do not go to the Lord when desperate times come upon us? And that's what we see here with Jairus is he's falling down before the Lord. Jairus is, a, is a, an official, so he's a man of substance, a man of, you know, he's got a, a good reputation. He's got good status. But here he's humbling himself before the Lord, falling down and begging Jesus to just come with me. Come with me to heal my daughter, he says. He truly believes that the Lord has the power to do that. He believes that the Lord has the power to save his dying daughter. And so that's why he does that. And so let's move along in the story, because as we read in verse 24, Jesus consents to go with him. It would seem like Jesus is going to heal the daughter. Okay, I'm going to go with you. Let me go heal her. And so let's pick up that story again, and, and I'm going to reread verse 24, because along the way, he gets stopped. It says this, And he went out with him, and a great multitude was following him and pressing in on him. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years, and had endured much at the hands of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, was not, and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. And hearing about Jesus came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I shall get well. And immediately the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. And immediately Jesus perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turning around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the multitude pressing in on you and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. So here we see an interruption as Jesus is going to heal the young girl. Him and the crowd are moving a long way and another person in need of healing interrupts Jesus. And you'll notice some similarities between this woman and the man Jairus as we read this story. But here, this woman too obviously is desperate. She has been hemorrhaging, of, she has a hemorrhage of some sort for 12 years. And it says how desperate she is. She's gone to the doctors and none of them have helped her. She spent tons of, or she spent all of her money, it says, to get help. But she's had no relief. In fact, again, in verse 26, it says, rather, she had grown worse. So the medical profession of the day had not helped her. And anything else that she had tried had not worked. And so, again, you see her desperation and in the midst of this crowd, she goes and approaches Jesus because she believes that if I can just touch him, that I would be healed. Now, we are not told exactly the cause of this hemorrhaging, um, but we know that it's not getting better. She's not being helped. Uh, many commentators believe that this hemorrhaging could have been something to do with her, menstru her, her menstrual process. I mean, a constant uh, menstruation for 12 years. Thus, 
She would have been isolated from all people. She would have been not been allowed to be going to synagogue. People would have been had to stay away from her because she would have been ceremonial, unclean. And so not only is she suffering physically, but also socially. She's in isolation. So she, like Jairus, doesn't let the crowd keep her from going to touch Jesus she's, because she's desperate. She wants to be healed. She believes if I can just touch Jesus, then he would heal me of this affliction. So despite the crowd, she goes through and she touches him. And, it, and the scripture tells us that Jesus, knowing what had happened, he wants this woman to come forward and confess what she's done. It's not like Jesus doesn't know who touched him, right? Jesus knows all things, but he wants her to come forward like Jairus. Jairus presented himself before the crowd. He wants this woman to also present herself before the crowd. So the woman comes forward after he says, who touched my garments? And the disciples in a moment are like, what do you mean who touched you? Everybody's touching you. So he turns around to see what the woman has done. And she knows she's been caught. She knows she's been found out. She falls down before him just like Jairus. And she falls in fear and trembling. It may be partly in fear and trembling because she knows she is ceremonial unclean and she has went and touched somebody, what she was not supposed to do. She didn't know what was going to happen. But in her desperation, she falls down and she confesses to Jesus everything that she was that was happening. So she probably told him, hey, I've been hemorrhaging for 12 years. Nobody has been able to help me. And I knew if I could just touch you, just not even you, just your garments, your clothes, that I would be healed. And then what did Jesus tell her after that in verse 34? Look at that with me, because this is an important exchange, and we're going to talk about this for a, a little while, about what Jesus says. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. What has made her well is not the power of her faith, because a lot of people will misinterpret that, saying you have to have enough faith, and Jesus will give you what you want. Right? It's not the power of her faith, but it is the power of her Lord who she trusts. That's what he's commending. It is not that she must, again, have enough faith. You know, she's got to muster enough faith to make herself well. You know, a lot of people say, I don't have enough faith, so God doesn't answer my prayers. I don't have enough faith, so Jesus didn't heal me, or he didn't bless me with this job, or, you know, fill in the blank, because you don't have enough faith. That's not what he's saying. The responsibility and weight isn't upon us as believers, and it isn't upon her to be healed. It's not dependent on her strength. The healing is solely dependent on the sovereignty and the will of God. And that's something we must all learn and remember. Again, the healing that she receives is solely dependent on the sovereignty and will of God. Jesus' healings throughout the Gospels illustrate his authority and compassion. Let me say that again. Jesus' healings illustrate his authority and compassion, right? Mark has been presenting to us, as I taught a few weeks ago, the great and powerful God, right? His omniscience, his omnipotence, and his omnipresence, right? Showing us how powerful God is. And these 
uh, healings, these miracles have been demonstrating that to us, the reader of the Gospels. And so when Jesus commends her faith, again, she was commended because she believed it was God who could heal her. She depended again on his authority and his compassion. I like what Matthew Henry said, a, a Puritan commentator. He said this, Christ puts honor upon faith because faith puts honor upon Christ. Read that to yourself. I'll read it again. Christ puts honor upon faith because faith puts honor upon Christ. It's not faith in faith. It's not faith in hope. It's not even faith in yourself. It's faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what is being honored. And so let me make this point here. This is not a formula, by the way, to obtain what we request, as I mentioned, right? We don't have to have enough faith. If I just muster enough faith, then Jesus will heal me. I mean, who had more faith than Jesus himself or the Apostle Paul? And they did not get healings that they asked for. Jesus asked, right, for the, this cup of suffering to pass from him. And he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. It was the will of God that Christ would suffer. When Paul asked for some affliction to be delivered from him three different times, he was told, my grace is sufficient. So please do not fall into the uh, misunderstanding that just because you have faith, that God is going to give you everything you want. No, God gives us everything that we need, not what we want. Not only Jesus and Paul, but I mean, just think of yourself and many believers throughout world history. They do not receive the answers to their prayers that they thought were best for them. No, God gives them what's best for them, not what they think is best for them. Now, this does not mean we're forsaken by God or that God doesn't hear your prayer. It doesn't mean that we should stop believing or trusting in the Lord. No. We don't know how the Lord is working in that situation. Jairus didn't know how the Lord was working in that situation where they were stopped on the way to heal his daughter. He could have been like, man, we're, my daughter's going to die if we don't hurry up and get there, Lord. He didn't know what was going on. Again, we don't know how the Lord is working in the situation in our lives, but we know he is working in the situation. And so Jesus not only says, daughter, your faith has made you well. He then says, go in peace and be, go in peace and be healed in your affliction. The Lord not only restored her physical health, but think of the mental health that she now gains. Because now she's healed of this, this pain or this suffering that she's been going through. She no longer has to live in isolation from her community, which would bring much comfort for her. She can now go to temple again and worship the Lord. I don't know about you, but I am a baby when it comes to pain. I've had a back pain now. Not today, thankfully. I think, I think it's healed because I had enough faith that it's gone. Okay, I was hoping you caught that. I was in pain. For, even when I was on vacation and we were hiking in Yosemite, my back was killing me. But I wasn't going to let that stop me. But I don't even know where I was going with that. But... Uh, Oh, yeah, it, there was mental anguish, right? I was like, oh, my gosh, am I going to have to live with this pain forever? Because I know fellow Christians suffer all the time. And it's, even though it's a little back pain, it was, it was killing me. I mean, I had to lay on my stomach 
in bed, that was like the only way the pain would be gone. I was like trying, you know, heat, ice, medication, more medication than my wife wanted me to take. I snuck a few more in there. Nobody tell her. And uh, it didn't help, by the way. And then finally, after two weeks, I came home and the doctors, you know, gave me the right medications and I'm feeling better. Um, yeah, so I don't know where I was going with that, but oh, well, I wanted you to know that I feel better. So thank you. <laughs> but no, I know it's just the mental, you know, the mental anguish. That's right. I was going through too. like, if, am I going to have to live with this? Am I going to have to learn to, you know, just this is part of life and part of the body breaking down because I know many of you are living in pain and, and that's not just physically, but mentally you suffer that. And so here this woman is freed from all that and she can go in peace. And so let's pick up the, the end of the story here in verses 35 and 36, because in the process of this, this, the woman being healed, the Jairus is still there waiting to see what is going to happen. And so while they're waiting, look at what it says in verse 5. While he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official saying, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe. So again, as I mentioned earlier, Jairus may have been thinking, Hey, if we don't hurry up, my daughter is going to pass away. I mean, we don't know that, but the, the people from his house come and say, hey, basically, don't bother Jesus anymore. Your daughter's died. There's nothing Jesus can do now. The situation, it's over. So don't trouble Jesus. Thankfully, Jesus, we're told, overhears what is said, and he steps in to encourage and reassure Jairus in his trust in the Lord. Remember, Jairus came to him saying, heal my daughter. We're not told what exactly Jesus said, but we are told that he went with Jairus. It would be, I think, rightly to assume that Jesus consented to say, yes, I'm going to heal your daughter. Let's go. And so he's telling Jairus, don't be afraid of this news. Remember, you came to me, asked me to heal your daughter. I've consented to go with you. Trust me, just believe. Believe like you first did when you came to me. Don't let the dire news disrupt your faith. And so he says, only believe. The one thing Jairus is commanded to do with this bad news is to do what? Just believe. Again, believe what he first believed when he approached the Lord. And that was, you truly believe, Jairus, that the Lord had the power and the ability to heal your daughter. That has not changed. The Lord, knows ex the Lord knew that this was going to happen. He's sovereign. He knew that they were going to come and report that his daughter had died. Nothing has changed for the Lord. Again, don't let that dire situation disrupt your faith in the Lord. And so let's pick up the story in verse 37. And he, and he allowed no one, this is Jesus, to follow with him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the synagogue official. And he beheld a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing. And entering in, he said to them, why make a commotion and weep? 
The child has not died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him. But putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and and entered the room where the child was. And taking the child by the hand, he said to them, Telitha kum, which translated means, Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl arose and began to walk, for she was 12 years old. And immediately they were completely astounded. And he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this. And he said that something should be given her to eat. So here we have the description of what happened at Jairus' home. Again, upon arrival, Jesus hears this big commotion, right? People wailing and weeping because someone has died. And Jesus tells them, hey, she's not lost forever. She's not like eternally lost. This is just temporary. That's why he uses the word sleep. It's just temporary. It's a temporary death. Many commentators, and I I agree with them, believe that she did actually die, but she didn't die for like good. She died so that Christ could raise her again. And the mourners laughed at this, right? I mean, it almost seems they were mocking the Lord. Like, what do you mean she's sleeping? you, You don't even know what you're talking about. She's not sleeping. She's dead. Or maybe they believed, you know what? He can't do anything about it. I don't, I don't know why you say she's sleeping. Right? They laugh because they know death is permanent and no, nobody can bring anyone back to life. I think up to this point in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has yet to resurrect a life. So Jesus takes, he puts them all out, right? He takes everyone out of the house that doesn't believe he takes his three disciples the mother and father of this little girl and he takes the girl by their hand and he tells her to rise to arise and we are told just quite simply she gets up and she walks she walks because she's older she's 12 and her parents rightly so and the three disciples are completely astounded I mean although everyone believes Jesus can do it And the disciples themselves have already seen a few different miracles as accounted in the gospel of Mark, right? They've seen uh, him heal the sick. He's casted out demons. He's even stopped the weather, right? Remember the sea was roaring and he stopped the wind and the sea. But now they see him raise somebody from the dead. Again, Mark is revealing to us the great and omnipotent God. And now they are seeing it like, they're astounded. They're like, are you kidding me? I mean, who would not believe that if they've seen somebody rise from the dead that was maybe clinically dead? This is what happens. And and then Jesus tells them, hey, by the way, don't tell anybody what just happened. I mean, I mean, if something like that, I'd be telling everybody what Jesus just did. Matter of fact, this little girl's going to walk outside and everybody's going to know what had just happened. So they don't really even need to say anything. It's almost like let the miracle speak for itself. Don't try to explain it. And Jesus has said this a number of times in the gospel of Mark because Jesus wants to be the one to explain who he is. He doesn't want somebody to misinterpret who he is. And then Jesus simply tells him, hey, give her something to eat. 
Jesus not only heals her of her death, but he takes care of her practical needs as well. And so in this section, what does this section teach us about God? I want to just move right into the application point of this text. And there's a lot of things that, you know, as I was studying over this past week, there's a lot of things that I learned. And I want to just point out three things about what this teaches us about God. Number one, God cares for all types of people, right? God shows no partiality, right? You have a a prominent religious figure that is an official of the synagogue and a woman who is not allowed to even be in the synagogue. They couldn't be totally different from each other than what they are. And that reminds us that God shows no partiality between nationality, between male and female, powerful, powerless. As a matter of fact, Romans 10, 12 through 13 tells us, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches to all who call upon him. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Both of these people, the lady and Jairus, both called upon the Lord. They trusted in the Lord. They believed in the Lord and the Lord answered them. So that's what stood out to me is that God cares for all types of people. Secondly, God works on behalf of all those who believe in him. A a verse that I quote often is Romans 8, 28, because this is what it tells us. We know that God causes all things, all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So God is working all things according, right, according to how he wants it to work. That's the thing we need to remember. It's not always how we want it. It's how God wants it. And God knows what's best for us. I like what uh, Puritan Thomas Manton said about this. He says this. This is like the, having a believer's, uh, a mindset that we need to have as believers. When the Lord suspends the promised deliverance, the godly suspect not the truth of his word, but the darkness of their own, excuse me, the darkness of their own unbelieving hearts. A Christian, for them, you know, when we're trusting God, it's not that we don't believe God. It's like, okay, I don't understand something. That's the way to look at it. It's not that God has not understanding something. It is us who don't understand it. So again, when the Lord suspends his promised deliverance, when deliverance doesn't come, don't think, well, I can't trust God. No, it, it's we don't have the proper understanding yet. We don't see the big picture. I love that Thomas Manton said that. So again, num- number two is God works on behalf of all those who believe in him. Number three, God has the power to resurrect life. God has the power to resurrect life. Believing this, this might not seem like a big deal, but it really is. Believing this is paramount to your salvation. It means it's paramount. You have, as a believer, if you're going to be a believer, you need to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look at in Romans 10, 9, he says that this, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, 
you shall be saved. Part of believing in God, of who he is, it is in his power and what he's done. He has raised Jesus from the dead. That is paramount to our faith, according to Romans 10, 9. If you don't believe that, then your salvation may not be real. We need to believe that God has the power to do that. God has the power to resurrect Jesus' life, and one day he's going to resurrect all believers as well. So again, those three points, I think just for me, what we can learn about God, again, in this section is that God cares for all types of people. God works on the behalf of all those who believe in him, and God has the power to resurrect life. Let me move to the next part of this application point. It says, what can we learn from Jairus and this woman? What practical lessons can we learn from them? And I think this is important for us. Number one, don't let anyone or anything keep you from believing in the Lord. Don't let anyone or anything keep you from believing in the Lord. Right? There were a lot of things to prevent Jairus and this woman to coming before the Lord and, and believing him. As you, as you think about it in your own life, what are some things that can prevent us from coming to the Lord? Well, number one is just yourself. Right? Sometimes we stop ourselves, right? Our own doubt, our own sin, and even our own pride can keep us from the Lord. All those things kind of went out the door for Jairus and this lady because they were desperate. They needed the Lord. They understand they need the Lord. They weren't prideful. Again, Jairus was a synagogue official, and here he is bowing down before the Lord, forsaking his pride because he understand he needed him. He needed him in this instance. And the woman, again, who is not supposed to be around other people, let alone touch people, said, I need him. I need to do this. And she went out in public and touched his garment. So sometimes it's just ourselves that keep us from coming to the Lord. Again, our own doubt our sin, our pride. And sometimes it's other people. Other people can keep us from coming to the Lord. Again, Jesus was uh, surrounded by big crowds and these Jairus and this lady, they did not let the crowd keep them away. They didn't let the scorn of the crowds keep them away. And I would encourage you not to do that either. Don't let the scorn of the crowds of people that you hang out with deter you from coming to the Lord. Who are those people that are speaking into your life? Are they keeping you from the Lord? Are they causing you to, to grow closer to the Lord? None of that. Don't let the praises of the crowd keep you from coming to the Lord, right? Sometimes people praise you so much. They tell you you're so great. You feel like, I don't need the Lord. I'm doing good. Whatever it is. Don't let circumstances, would be the other example, don't let circumstances keep you from believing in the Lord. Don't let the gravity of the situation that you're going through, no matter how little or how small, keep you from coming to the Lord. Right? Sometimes we think, well, this is just a small issue. I don't, I don't need the Lord. I can figure it out. I can fix it. Right? Going back to my back pain, maybe it's just if I do a few stretches, you know, it's going to work out. I don't want to trouble the Lord with a little back pain. Or sometimes it's so big, we don't think the Lord can do it. Just like those mourners, they're like, she's dead. There's nothing you can do, Jesus. 
Don't let the gravity of the situation keep you from coming to the Lord. And don't let the direness of the situation. There's no hope. There's nothing God can do. Sometimes we think that way. But there is. We've already seen in Mark, God do almost anything. Is That's the God that we believe in. That's the God that we follow. Secondly, what can we learn from Jairus and the woman? Is do not be afraid any longer, but only believe. Don't be afraid any longer. Don't let your fear drown out your faith. What are the things that you are afraid of? Are those things keeping you from coming to the Lord? Are they, are they keeping you from believing in the Lord? You know, Jared at the beginning of the service started out with praying about just, there's some, some horrible things going on in our world. Don't let those fears drown out your faith. Don't let that happen. Again, remember Jairus, the people came and said, Jairus, don't trouble the master anymore. Your daughter's dead. And what did Jesus tell him? Don't be afraid anymore. Only believe. Basically, pin all your trust in the Lord's words and ways. Pin all your trust in the Lord's words and ways. And let me conclude with this third and final point here. Uh, these are three thoughts to help you trust in the Lord. Uh, over the past, when I was on vacation, I spent a lot of time uh, reading. I told you about this a few weeks. I like to read sermons. So I have uh, Thomas Manton is, is one of my favorite uh, Puritan authors. And I was reading his comment, his, uh, his sermons, and just like, you know, like listening to a sermon, but I was reading through them. And he came and he had these three points that I think would really help us in understanding about trusting the Lord in difficult times. And I, and I thought these were great. And, I, and these are going to be my last three points. And, and again, I hope they help you trust the Lord. And so I'm giving credit to Thomas Manton. It's, I didn't come up with these. I wish I could just read his sermons to you. They're so great. Anyways, it says, number one is this. Interprets God's ways by what he promised, not by the way he is working out the promise. Now we need to read that slowly, right? Again, interpret God's ways by what he has promised, not by the way he is working out that promise. What does that mean? That means interpret what God is doing by what he's promised. Right? Don't look at the way he's doing it, but look at the end was the promise that he has given you. Don't focus on the way that it's working out. That would be the opposite. Right? Don't interpret God's ways by looking at how he's doing it and forgetting about that promise. Again, Jairus, if he would have said, he's looking at my daughter died, I guess, it wasn't God's will. He forgot God already said he's going to heal him. Don't interpret his ways by what's going on. Interpret by what he has promised. We all need to remember that when we're going through this life and looking at our crazy and chaotic world, what has the Lord promised to us in this world? Interpret God's ways on the promise, not the way that it is working out. A second thing that will help us. Thomas Manton says this, we cannot trace God. A man cannot find out the reason for everything that God does. 
We cannot trace God. A man cannot find out the reason for everything that God does. Some of us want to figure out why God is doing something. Every little thing that he does, we want to know why is God doing this? But we can never know God's ways. We can never know everything about God. We need to trust him. Don't try to trace God's plan. Just trust him. You cannot find out the reason. There are going to be a lot of things in this world and things that go on in our life that we don't know why God did that. We don't know why God allowed that to happen. We cannot trace God. And thirdly and lastly, distinguish between a part of God's work and the end of it. Again, distinguish between a part of God's work and the end of it. And I like this because it's like, Don't be so focused on just the part that you're looking at. Wait until the end of God's work before you judge it. All right, let's wait till the end. We only see a little bit of God's will. We only see God's will in part. Let's wait till we see the end of it because then we'll say, oh, now I see what God was doing. So many times, again, we're so focused on the little part that we see, the little part that we understand, and we forget about the big picture of what God is doing. Again, these these things will help us trust in the Lord, trust during this chaotic time. And again, I think this is what Jesus was saying to Jairus. Again, he says, don't be afraid, just believe. Again, trust God. We need to desperately trust God because we know what he has told us. Trust in his ways, trust in his work, right? Because of what he has promised us. And who knows what, you know, I mean, that was going to help us get through so much in this chaotic world. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the example set before us in Mark chapter 5. Lord, I am sure there's many of us this morning, if not today, but if in the past, have just gone through things that we don't understand, that we don't like, that we don't understand how this could could be your will. But may we not focus on your ways, but on what you have promised. Help us, Lord, to trust you, to not be afraid, but to just believe. And not in a blind belief, but we believe because who you are, what you've said you will do, and how you do things. We trust in your character. Help us, Lord, to trust you in these these crazy times in our world. And we thank you, Lord, that you are in control of all things, that you are sovereign, and you have promised never to leave us or forsake us, but it's said to work all things together for good to those who love you and are called according to your purpose. So we trust in that promise. May we trust in your ways. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us in today's study. If you'd like to know more about us or where you can attend one of our services, you can find information online at www.ren.church. That's R-E-N dot church. Thanks for listening.